This is The Tortoise, a podcast that digs deep into the power of slow. I'm your host, Brooke McCallery, and I am joined by my husband, Ben McCallery. What beautiful bird noises we're hearing outside. It's unedited, baby. What birds are those? That's a cockatoo. That was a cockatoo. That's a white cockatoo. And what are those? Currawongs, I think. So it's just been raining here, and I feel like they always do it once it's rained. Mm. Currawongs and magpies, I love their like warbling, caroling sounds. They're non-stop. It's nice. It is nice. It's really nice. Welcome to episode one of The Tortoise. What a momentous occasion. Isn't it just? Isn't it? Isn't it? I guess we wanted to first of all just go through what it is, uh, well, the format of the the podcast moving forward, because mm-hmm. it's going to be obviously different to the Slow Home podcast. But we're going to be coming back to a number of, I don't know, reoccurring topics, if you like, throughout the episodes. Yeah, yeah, and kind of segments almost, for want of a better word. Segments. <laughs> That sounds highly produced. This, well, this is not that, so <laughs> I take that back. Yeah, so we want to kick off today's conversation talking about a topic that I've been working on, if you like, or, or kind of de- deliberating on Yes. for a, for a couple of months. And uh, we also want to... Um, the idea behind this podcast is to deep dive onto a topic, yep. into a topic. So we've read quite a lot on the topic. Um, we're not going to, not always cite resources, but it's just our observations based on what we've read and what we've heard and what we've looked at. And viewing stuff through the lens of slow, you know, and the lens that we've developed ourselves over many years of trying to live a slower kind of countercultural way of life you know yeah yeah so it's it's kind of viewing things that are they expand beyond the home and I guess that's one of the things that I really wanted to move away from as much as I loved the slow home pod to move beyond that you know into work into community into health into family into all that sort of stuff that didn't necessarily fit neatly into the conversation around home, even though we tried to be as expensive as possible with that. I think some of the stuff that we're going to tackle that we plan on tackling this year on the tortoise is it's just not necessarily stuff that we felt we could talk about yeah. on the podcast as it was. So yeah. yeah, I'm excited to be able to do that with freedom, you know, it sounds like we were locked in. We weren't, but you know, it just feels exciting yeah it does yeah. it really does it feels refreshing it feels uh, we've got our bod podcast <laughs> i got my podcast baby we've got uh our podcast format back which is feels nice it does feel nice yeah so yeah today we're going to dig into that topic and then we've also got a um an article that i wanted to talk about because i kind of that's really nice bird song <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an article that I would like to talk about because it kind of came up over on the Tortoise Substack a few weeks ago uh, and I've been thinking about it a lot since and then we're going to have a check-in and yeah. All right, well, 
that's the format. Very loose, but that's, I don't know, come to expect that uh, because that's what it's going to be like moving forward. So uh, join with us now. Grab your favourite cup of something, whatever it is, cup of joe, cup of water, glass of water. What are you drinking, Brooke? Absolutely nothing. Me neither. We need to probably hydrate. Let's get into it. Translation for that is, Brooke, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, Mr. Cockatoo. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so this is a check-in. We're going to do this uh, every episode. So, yeah, tell us, um, how are you joining us today? Uh, I'm joining you wrapped in a blanket. I feel like I'm fighting off a virus, mm. if I'm being perfectly uh, transparent with you. But I'm I'm all right. I went to bed at like eight o'clock last night. That's I'm pretty early. Feeling well rested. Mm-hmm. Felt necessary, and I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Um, I don't feel quite as rested. Disclosure: Recently, I I invested in one of these fitness trackers, and become a kind of obsessed with it. This is the problem that people find with them. And you know what? And I get it. I think I will be obsessed for the first two weeks yep. and then I'll be like, that's my personality. It's yeah. like, okay, I, this is cool and, and I'll obsess about it. And then I'll be like, oh, that's not worth obsessing about. Yeah. So it's like the length of sleep, like the optimal length of sleep you're getting and the quality of the sleep and your sleep score and yep. recovery and strain and all that sort of stuff. So I'm... I'm laying in bed going, Ben, relax, because your sleep score isn't going to be good <laughs> if you don't go to sleep soon. I get it, though. So I've worn one of those rings, like a sleep tracking ring, for a couple of years. And the first probably month that I wore it, it was the first thing I'd check in the morning, yep. you know, and uh, the nights that like, I would wake up in the morning and go, oh, I felt like I had a pretty good sleep. And then I'd look at my sleep score and be like it says it was terrible oh i'm so tired was i tired because Uh, my app told me that i didn't sleep well was i tired because uh i actually was tired and you're right like that disappears after a while it is still really helpful and really handy at tracking long term it's got to be long term right like it just can't be that short term but i think focusing on each night is that's going to be exhausting pretty quickly yeah so i've I don't think I'll be obsessed with that uh, moving forward. How was your sleep score last night, though, just out of it curiosity? It was 90%. That's pretty good. It's okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm a sleeper. <laughs> you are. You're very talented. I'm pretty good at sleeping. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I feel I feel okay. I feel okay. Yeah. Um, you, you've been sick for the last couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. And, so. look, all, all the symptoms of COVID but didn't have it, um, but just exhausted. Mm. Just maybe, like, the old common cold. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's going around. It's doing its thing. Doing its thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is sort of weird, isn't it? When you have a cold and you're like, but it's not COVID. Mm. And so you think people are going to be less sympathetic almost or yeah, let, take you less, you know. Seriously. Serious. Like it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's still a cold. It's still. Well, you were sick. Impacted. You were literally in bed for three days. Yeah. So, Crazy. And that does not really happen very often. Yeah. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm, uh, I'm feeling okay. So that's how that's how we are that's today. We, yep, good as snapshot. We, as we now move on to our, I guess, topic of the podcast, and do we think the plod? I think podcast is funny, but 
I don't really know. Time will tell. <laughs> okay. uh, so we're going to talk about this idea of the four-day working week. Mm. Hot button issue in Australia at the moment. Really is. Like countless articles uh, that have been written in the media recently following two Australian political parties coming out recently and putting forward a proposal or legislation for a four-day work week mm-hmm. at full pay mm-hmm. following a number of trials internationally. I think the US have led the way and I think the UK, the UK yeah. as well There's, have done there was a number tr- of trials. There was. There was a trial in Australia that has just ended and I think that a lot of the findings has got, have gone into the that, report that was yep. put towards the parliamentary committee recently. Mm-hmm. Um because it was overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. Funny that. Well, this is the way, this is what we're, we're seeing is that almost every article, 99% of the articles I've re- read, the results are all very, very positive. Mm-hmm. From not only uh, the, the mental aspect of it, mental health aspect of it, but from pro- productivity. Yep. From uh, morale, all the, all, like you look at all the indicators and they're all very, very positive based on what a, a four-day work week could look like. Now, full disclosure, at the beginning of this year in January, you know, you'll always have, well, is it a New Year's resolution or is it a theme? Is it a – I don't know what it is. We don't we don't really do New Year's resolutions, mm-hmm. but we do have things that we like to focus on this year. And for you, we I remember we're sitting down, sitting down at our kitchen table and you came up with the concept of the 1%. Yes. And or I tapped in. I didn't. You, you didn't I, come up with no, it. But I tapped into it for myself. Into it, yes. Yeah, yeah. And you you um, started to explore that and what that could look like from a in a slow living lens. Yep. Which we'll go on to talk about, which you've written about. Yeah, and I will link to all of this in show notes and whatnot. But yes. But then I was sort of. I don't. I I was looking at a post COVID labor force mm-hmm. and looking at why I chose to go out and, and essentially become self-employed and on that sort of freelance um, project-based yep. uh, engagements with my clients. Which was how long ago? Well, that was back in 2016. Yep. Uh, that was a decision, I guess, brought on by what we wanted to do and travel and what we wanted to do in terms of traveling and traveling with your books and doing book tours. Mm-hmm. And like, this was a, a thing that we just had to put in place before we were to do that. So we did that. And then purely it's like a lifestyle decision. Yeah. Really. It enables us to live um, out of Sydney where the commute is not as, because we're not commuting every day, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not as big a factor. Yes, we still travel in the city, but it's not every day. Yeah. Well, you do. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Uh, and so the lifestyle changes that that's brought on, uh, being self-employed, have been massive, mm-hmm. and and for the most part, very very positive. But then COVID came along, right? And yes, I have heard of it. <laughs> with COVID, everyone was working home. From home anyway. Pretty much, yeah. And so I felt, and this is going to sound really privileged, what's in it for me? <laughs> Where's my advantage now? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, And I know that sounds really selfish, but it's 
I took the risk of going out and there's massive amount of risk involved in being self-employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you carry a lot of that risk. There's no security. Well, the argument is there's never any security anyway. Yeah, but like if you get booted by a client um, or that a can client happen falls, overnight. it can happen overnight and it did happen overnight exactly. during COVID with multiple clients. It yep. was like, oh, sorry, there's no work for you anymore. Yeah. Um, one day there was, the next day there wasn't. So, yes, there is absolutely a huge amount of risk. There's no sick leave. There's no holiday pay. There's no severance pay. There's none of that. None of this is surprising, but it, it is part of the risk of being self-employed and why it felt like such a leap for mm. us back in 2016. Even though, yes, we were doing it for reasons, good reasons, reasons that were values aligned, it was still very risky. And you were happy to take that risk because the payoff was flexibility, work from home, able to all those you know, travel, goals. all that sort of all stuff. Yeah. And then COVID hit and then a, a majority of the workforce was able to do what you had been doing essentially, which was working from home with that flexibility, you know, painting it in a very positive light now. Mm. At the time, it was bloody hard for everyone. Oh, 100%. Because yeah. um, you were also teaching your kids as well. Right, for a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, living through a global pandemic and exactly. all the uncertainty that came with yeah. that. But I remember your frustration because you're like, now everyone has the flexibility and the lifestyle well, yeah. stuff. That it's, it's a hybrid workforce now yeah. for the majority Which of white-collar workers. It's okay? wonderful. So, yeah, it's awesome because the benefits are massive. Yeah. Uh, so at the beginning of the year, recognizing all that, and I was like, well, what's the next step? Like, what's the step that I could take as a self-employed person that that positions myself in front of the curve, if you like, Makes of, you of feel. the rest of the workforce? Like I'm getting like a little bit of a cheat code, like I'm getting a mm-hmm. a benefit that other people aren't at the moment. Yep. You know what I mean? Like just and, – and, and just being sort of aware of what the future of work looks like mm-hmm. really and the trends. And so reading about this four-day work week, I'm like, giddy up. Like mm-hmm. that, sounds, that sounds great. And so I was challenged myself at the beginning of the year. I, I spoke to you and I said, I'm going to, as of – April, trial, a four-day work week. Mm-hmm. And you, then you said, quite rightly, what does that look like for your clients and how, how do you actually, how will you actually do that? And that's when the, I don't know, like the rubber hit the road. It's like that's, it, that's a very hard as a self-employed person to, to manage. Yeah. Because as an employed person, if you want to go down, if you want to, do a four-day work work week. It's a one conversation and a contract change to the contract. All that sort or, of yeah. stuff. With me, it's having multiple conversations, yeah. and, and you, you need to align all those conversations. Yeah. So that's where I'm up to. Yeah. Full disclosure. That's where I'm up to is is sort of working out how I have that conversations, and convince people that of the research, of the proof in the data, of the trials that you will get increased productivity, you'll get the same level of service, you'll get a happier Ben McCallery. Yeah, so that's that's sort of where I've got to and I've started to have those conversations. Yeah, and what does that look like? Um, I've just been quite open and honest and just saying... I'm going to be unavailable on this day from this date. Right. 
And what's the response been typically? No problem. Interesting. <laughs> okay, this is only with like one client so far. Okay. I've only had that conversation, but yeah, I've got to have it with multiples. But like that's, I was expecting something different. You're expecting pushback or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that at least in part the acceptance, hard to say when it was just one person but or one, one client, um, that in part it's, it, it's not a crazy idea anymore. Mm. Like the conversation publicly in the media is that a four-day work week has merit. Whether or not organisations are going to adopt it is a whole other thing but there's merit there and it is no longer like the outlier who is suggesting this, do you think that that's at least part of the reason why there was no pushback? I think that there was no pushback because I didn't say I'm having a four-day working week. Right. Okay. I'm just having – I'm not working for you on this day well, anymore. I'm, un, I'm unavailable, I'm unavailable on, this on this day date. from this date. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not saying it's the – because I, I still think there's probably a lot of stigma around it. Do you? Yeah. 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 So you operate in that – realm and I don't so yeah uh, I mean I think a lot of people with this sort of these sort of issues initially quite reluctant to want to be the the first in market to, yeah. to do it even though the trials are saying they're certainly nowhere near the first in market anymore but not, yeah not anymore but within Australia mm-hmm. and I look there's probably companies in Australia already doing it there is yeah 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 there is okay. so yeah so I, I, I so this is this whole thing was based on my level of not being able to disconnect from work. Because mm-hmm. everyone has a right to disconnect from work. Yes. Some countries are actually legislating that now. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, by not answering phone calls out of set hours or emails outside of work hours, that's crept into my... Yes. My, the way that I operate... Uh, particularly with the kids leaving home early before uh, earlier uh, than previous years. They're they're heading off earlier. They're both in high school now. So there's more time for Mm -hmm. me to be in front of my computer. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, recognising this, I'm, I'm, there's no benefit. Like there's, that's annoyed me that I've just gone, oh, well, I can fill that with work work Mm -hmm. and productivity Mm -hmm. for the sake of productivity right are you do you think you're getting through more work because of that or are you i I really don't know no it's hard for you to track yeah i really don't know so that's that's interesting that the frustration with like productivity creep and email creep and you know availability creep has flagged with you because mm. I mean I've noticed it mm. but I think that that's also a quite a common problem at the moment with the hybrid lots more people working from home more there's huge amounts of research being done and you know articles being written about exactly that the boundaries have blurred significantly for people you know, between work and home. And tech always made it tricky, but the fact that home is work for a lot of people With now... COVID, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. ...is making it harder again for people to extricate themselves mentally. Mm-hmm. 
So that's interesting that that has kind of been highlighted to you as well. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Okay. Do you think we are working more than we did, say, 20 to 30 years ago? How do you mean more? Like hours? More hours in a week. Do you think we're working more as a average? Yes. Without like more context than that, like you're talking about Australia, what kind of workers are you talking about, all that sort of stuff. But yes, I would say that yes, we are. In the developed world, in in what I call richer nations, Mm -hmm. we are working far less Mm -hmm. than we did 30 years ago, which absolutely shocks me because I feel like I wasn't in the workforce 30 years ago. (laughs) No. But I kind of was 20 years ago. You definitely were twenty years ago. But as a as a as a average, mm-hmm. the population is working far less. There's a few reasons for this. So okay. casualization of the workforce. Right. More people working part time compared to twenty, thirty years mm-hmm. ago. Um, the gig economy. Gig economy. So yeah. all these all these new sort of labor forces. Yeah. Which that, are far less secure. Far less secure. Yeah. Um, generally pay far less. Mm-hmm. Uh, zero benefits, zero like... Yeah, yeah. like well, not zero, but yes, less benefits and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it, I, to me, I was like, wow, mm. that that's that's shocking. Yet we are... Mental health is on, you know, that it's never been... Worse. Worse. Yeah. And burnout is huge. That's really interesting. So why is that? I think that being on constant... This is just my theory. This is not based in anything scientific. I think that people are just constantly on, you know, and even if they are not working, I know this is the case for a lot of people who work in hospitality, for example, or healthcare, because of the casualization of the workforce, they need to be ready to say yes to a shift tomorrow today yeah. tonight whatever mm. Mm. you know so people aren't given the opportunity for what was the traditional 48 hours away from work or more you know um so people don't ever get that time to decompress and i'd say that a lot of people like information workers and you know people who even aren't in those casualized sort of industries mm. are feeling the same for different reasons because they're constantly attached to their email. They're getting text messages. They are expected to answer the phone, even if it is out of work hours. So again, people aren't getting the time to decompress. So it feels like we are working more, even if, as you say, on average, average. it's on a, the average yeah, is important. Yeah, yeah. On average, people are working less. Because 30 years ago, people didn't need a dual income to survive. Right. Right? Yeah. And now that's pretty... We just all it's pretty much part of the course. Part of the course. Yeah. If you're in a, in a relationship and your cost of living is such that there is virtually no way one partner yeah. can earn everything you need... In order to, you know, make ends meet. And that's even looking back, like when we grew up, mm. um, my mum was at home until I was in primary school. So she got a job when I was in primary school, part-time job. Um, even that, like that 
I would have said years ago that that was stereotype, like that was the typical situation. It wasn't. Mm. Like even, you know, 30, 40 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the, 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 the typical situation, but it was more common. Like now it's, I think it would be quite uncommon. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I, I mean, I, again, where's the census data? And I can tell you that yeah. I think it would be uncommon. Yeah. So cost of living is a huge part of it too. Huge. And then you, so you've got stress of meeting the rising cost of living. Wages are not increasing. Wages are decreasing on, in, a, in a real world sense. Um, it's brutal. So I think that it makes sense that we feel that we're working more even if... We're working less. Now, I do need to put a caveat. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference between richer and, and poorer nations with this. Okay. So richer nations are working fewer hours. Poor, on average. On average. Poorer nations are working far more. Right. Okay. So, yeah, look at like agricultural um, intensive industry within developing nations and they're working 24-7. Mm-hmm. So, the, the average is, is, is greater there. Mm. So, I think innovation tech has a lot to do with it, but it's not the answer, right? Mm. Like at the end of the day, it's a tool and technology as a tool is winning. Yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. If we come back to the four day work week for people like you, people like me, who you know work mostly on computers, we're knowledge workers. There is an argument that a four day work week will be made more broadly possible by embracing what tech offers for efficiency's sake whether that's AI, whether that's, you know, just being smarter with the way that we use technology to reduce what is required of us. Mm. That sounds all well and good until you put your corporate overlord hat on and they're like, oh, you're doing less work, so we won't pay you as much. You can have a four-day work week, but we'll pay you four days. That's not what a four-day work week promises. A four-day work week, as it's being discussed at the moment, is about – Working for four days a week. Same pay, same benefits. Same pay, same benefits, yeah. yes. So I think that's an important distinction to make. We're not talking about robots taking our jobs and giving us less work to do because that will ultimately just result in us being paid less. Mm. That's not really the point. Mm. <laughs> Although there is um, some evidence that certain parts of the workforce would take a pay cut. If to they... be able to have a four-day work Yes, week. but yeah. I don't think that's most people. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, come with us on this journey as I explore the four-day work week yeah. and, and what uh, that looks like. So I'm not doing it now. Like I'm, it's not it hasn't started. started yet. I'm in the process of managing expectations uh, around it. Yeah, which takes me to this article on The Guardian or the AFR actually, which I'll link to in the show notes, uh, that spoke to a number of... Uh, managers Mm -hmm. for different organizations of different kinds of businesses that trialed the four-day work week. And I thought it was really interesting because one of them was like a larger corporate office, you know, that you would typically think of as well-suited for a four-day work week. So they were involved, but there was also a fish and chip shop somewhere in the UK because that's an argument that I often hear that's against the four-day work week, which is 
tradespeople, service, yeah, anyone service. who works yeah. in service industry, yeah. um, hospitality, healthcare, that sort of stuff. It's not well suited to a four day work week. And absolutely, that is the case for some industries and some work. There is mm. no way around that. But I still don't think that that's a good reason for it to not be applicable to certain industries. Um, when possible. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see the different challenges that those two businesses faced. So the corporate um, business, he, he joked and he said like, it, I think it was six months of six day weeks in order to prepare us <laughs> for the four, four day, day work week. Yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, you think about having to look at everyone's job description and what their outputs are and, uh, you know, what the flow on effects of changing that, like, let's say they don't, no one works on a Wednesday. What does that look like for their suppliers yeah. and for their customers and all that sort of stuff. So there was a huge amount of preparation in order to take part in this trial. And then the fish and chip shop, like they're seasonal, right? So they are in a coastal tourist town. There is three or four months of the year where it is simply not feasible for them to work four days a week, even if, uh, and I'd read somewhere recently about like somewhere in the States maybe that was giving um, hospitality workers the option of working their five days of eight-hour shifts or working four days of 10-hour shifts. Uh, so, you know, that has always been something that I was curious about as an option for hospitality. But instead of doing that, this fish and chip shop owner um made it known, I guess, that during peak season, his workers, his employees would work longer hours. And in the off season, they would work 32 hours a week mm -hmm. as opposed to a higher mm -hmm. workload. And then in the slow season, they would work 24 hours a week. Oh, wow. All for the same pay. Yeah. So there'd be periods where they would work very full-time oh. hours and then periods where they work part-time hours for full-time pay. And that seemed to work really well for them to the point where they're going to continue with the, the equivalent of a four-day work week. It's so powerful that it's such long-term thinking mm -hmm. and the the scarcity mindset of, a, of an employer. And if I put myself in the shoes of that owner of that fish and chip shop, yeah. it would be, okay, so I'm, I'm taking on these employees uh, at any time they could leave. Mm -hmm. You know, what if they're leaving in the slow season when they're not, um, or they're just here for the slow season? Right. Sorry. They're just here for the slow season and they're getting paid full pay, not working a, you know, full day mm -hmm. or full week. And when, and then when it comes, and when it comes busier, they leave. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I've invested that's fear, all this. That's fear money. based. Fear based. And so that's, that's just a whole psyche change. Yeah. And it's got to, it, to me, it's about becoming human-centered rather than profit-centered. And I know I live in an idealist world in my own head. I understand that. And I'm so often frustrated by the fact that, <laughs> that others don't, um, you know. And so for me, I always pass things through the lens of people first. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's not how the world works. But that's what we need to do if we want to embrace that uh, the abundance-based mindset Theory. rather than the yeah. fear-based yeah. mindset mm -hmm. uh, that you described. But that's not taking into account um, the well-being of employees. So maybe someone's like, yeah, 
maybe I will come in for the slow season and work three months at part-time and get paid full-time. But at the end of those three months, perhaps they are so enamored with the fact that the employer rates their well-being so highly that they've realized they've become loyal to this person. Absolutely. You know, they've realized that actually I'm not going to get this sense, this level of investment in my well-being anywhere else. So I'm going to stay, you know, and... The value that that would have yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting. Great and case study. Honey. It is a yeah, really you. good. Uh, yeah. I liked it because it wasn't the traditional white collar exa- yep. example. So what I'm going to trial instead of the four day work week is a six month on and then six month off. But there are people who do that too. What? There are so people. I mean, these are people and like. Someone who does the work I do could possibly do something like that. Mm. You know, writers, creators, mm-hmm. um, creatives could potentially do that. Yeah. Like you work intensively on a project, a book, a movie, a whatever, and you put everything you have into it and then you go on sabbatical for six months. Oh, that's amazing. But there are there are people who do it. They won't... I couldn't do it, but it sounds amazing. No, you couldn't do it with the work that you do. I don't think most I'd people I actually don't would. think I could... Even if I could, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Like six months, being on for six months, not mm-hmm. having any break, mm-hmm. you know, just powering through. Mm-hmm. I think I'd get pretty sick. Yeah. And that, I, I don't know. All I know is that I had read that certain people do that and they seem to love it. So, you know. Yeah. And I mean, what's on, right? Is on like 40 hours a week, is on 80 hours a week, yeah. is on 120 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, so the flip side, though, to the four-day work week, and I think it's pretty obvious we are absolutely in the camp of, yes, four-day work week for so many reasons, for people's well-being. Well, enough to trial it. Yeah. Yes, sure. Hmm. I mean, I am anyway because anything that can lead to people being more well, people feeling Hmm. more grounded, people having time and space and buffer and margin in their life to live differently, I'm all for. Yeah. You know, um, but also, as I said, I know that that's an idealist's uh, view of the world. Nothing wrong with that. Hmm. <laughs> but hmm. <laughs> I understand that. But the, so the flip side of it is the laziness implication. A lot of people uh, will yeah. imply or assume that there is laziness attached to this desire to only want to work four days a week. I disagree completely. It's people wanting to find some measure of balance in their life. Uh, And I think that if it was rolled out widely, we would discover that, in fact, people weren't being lazy. Productivity doesn't decrease um, people's happiness, people's well-being, people's mental and physical health improve, their relationships improve, communities improve. And look, look at the flow-on effect. Mm. Um, That's what I believe would happen. But you cannot have this conversation without someone piping up saying it's just young people being lazy. And you know what? That's the capitalist society we live in. I don't want to get too deep into this. this, But capitalism by definition is productivity, being as productive as possible um, and earning... Uh, a living based on that productivity. But even even like so, m- my argument for that mm. is they've shown that productivity increases on a four day week anyway. Yeah, it, like this it does. the trial has shown it that does. it's like twenty five percent increase. To me, that's not the point. Mm. But regardless, that that takes that argument away. It does, and that's why, and that's essentially 
while why it's been considered by so many companies. Right, because of the bottom line. No, the productivity yeah, is... Not is, because people are happier or healthier. That's a nice side, side effect. <laughs> oh, oh, God. So depressing. Uh, but capitalism's capitalist theory is that, yeah, we need to be productive and if we're not, that's then we're sitting idle and that's wastage. So that's why when we when, when you sit there and do nothing... You're subconsciously thinking I should be doing something. Mm. Oh, it's been completely ingrained into us. hundred percent. Yeah. But also I would, I would posit that the fear is people who have time on their hands have time to think. And people who think people are people who start to think critically about the world we live in and perhaps we can do it differently and perhaps it. We go, we're going down a rabbit hole. No, I'm not going to go, but, but honestly, I do believe that that is, I don't think there's any one puppet master pulling those strings, but I think that over time that has become the norm Mm -hmm. is that people are far more likely to buy stuff, to buy into things, to, you know, become a, a cog in the marketing machine that is the world if we don't have time to stop and think. Yep. Truly. And that's why I think that slow living can be a genuinely world-changing idea because it gives people the opportunity to stop and think. And it is uncomfortable. Mm. The things that you stop and think about are uncomfortable. But I, I truly believe that there is an element to this work, 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 work mentality that is about, um, Control sounds ridiculous, but it's about maximizing money. Yeah, it's about money. Yeah, yeah. How funny! I'm just smirking because I'm thinking about my check-in and how I'm now got a fitness tracker, and it's all about optimization and productivity. <laughs> <laughs> is it though? Because that's I'm, one side, I'm or is it about well-being? In. Oh, that's true. There's an argument for both. I there guess. is. Yeah. yeah, it depends how you use it. Yeah. If you're like using it to hack, you're like biohacking and, and whatnot, then, you know, perhaps Sounds that's painful. That's, that's about, you know, reaching your optimum potential versus well-being or, you know, um, navigating life in a way that creates the least amount of stress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's the four-day work week. This is going to be a recurring topic. I'm going to up we we're not going to spend a lot of time on it in future episodes but I will provide an update on what it's looking like and how I'm managing expectations and yeah so just from you personally rather than the global conversation Exactly exactly Can I ask you a question before we move on Sure One of the other arguments against the 4-day work week is that people will use their day off mm. to go and get another job and that will, in turn, lead to either poorer performance in their main job, their four-day-a-week job, or burnout. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely see how people would do that because cost of living crisis yeah. is very real and brutal and people are struggling to make ends meet. So I get that concern. People have got high side hustles now on a five-day work right. week. Yeah. So that would just free them up to do their side hustle on another day yeah yeah that's that's a good point i hadn't really thought about that but i'd i'd love to know what percentage of people do have 
some kind of side hustle. Mm. Um, yeah, that would be interesting, actually. Yeah. So I think, okay, let's like follow that argument through though, which is, yes, let's say people move to a four-day work week, they go and get another job to boost their bank account. Um, will that lead to burnout? Probably, but people are already burning out on five days anyway. Um, so what do we do as a society? Like how do we negate that need for people to feel like they – or not just feel like they have to, to have to go and get a second job to plug the gap? We raise wages. We look at things like universal basic income. You know, like this is where the opportunity for creativity and leadership really comes in. I'm not asking you to like give your personal thoughts on it, but to me it's just an interesting offshoot of the conversation. It's like how human-centered can we make the economy Mm. and what would the flow-on effects of that be? So the skeptics will will no doubt have that argument in their back pockets when more organisations move to the four-day work week. Mm-hmm. Just as like hybrid work, the hybrid workforce and the sceptics around people working from home mm-hmm. have come out and said it's not good for collaboration and it's not good for mental health and all that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's always going to be people that... Sure, of which like, I think that there is some merit to those arguments based on individual people, based on the work that they do, yeah. based on the yeah. organisations they work for. I, I'm, not, I'm not poo-pooing that at all and I don't think that there is a one-size-fits-all. Like just because I am a super introverted person who very happily works in my own company doesn't mean that that's going to suit everyone, you mm. know, and I think that hybrid tends to be what is working for people like on, on the main yeah. Um, now, as yep. we move into whatever comes post lockdowns and, um, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. So the question is, honey, mm-hmm. what am I going to do with that one day that I don't? don't well, I don't know. Anything? What are you going to do? Um, well, I think that's another discussion. Okay. Because, uh, yeah. Uh, you don't know yet. Well, no, I, I, I have. I kind of do know what I'm going to be doing. Okay. Um, and it will be upskilling mm-hmm. based on the work that I do and it becoming redundant in the next three years. Mm. Yeah, so this is, this so is another conversation. Anyway, this is, an, this is another conversation, which we will have. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, let's do it in another episode. Okay. Let's get on to hobbies. Yes. So this part of the conversation was sort of prompted by an article that I read in the Guardian, maybe I'll link to it in the show notes uh, about the benefits of having hobbies that we are mediocre at, like things okay. that we suck at. Yep. And it was written by someone who has been surfing for twenty or thirty years and is still genuinely terrible at it, <laughs> but loves it. Yeah, loves nice. it because they are genuinely terrible at it. And they had a perspective that I had not. Uh, really considered before which was that if you want to if, if your aim is to get better at something a hobby for example then you open up the prospect of failure so trying to get better means that you can fail so they're like I don't want to try and get better because this is something I enjoy as it is just for the sheer love of it 
trying to get better, getting lessons, whatever, watching YouTube tutorials, like that then changes my mindset away from one of enjoyment to one of improvement. And I had never considered that before. But I think that there's definitely an element of truth to it. The comments were so interesting because yeah. most people had this very capitalistic mentality of like, why wouldn't you want to get better at it? Yeah. Whereas this person was like, I don't, because I don't want to. Mm. I just don't want, I love sucking at it. Yep. Because it is enjoyable. Because it is a exercise in movement or mindfulness or play or whatever. It is not about getting better. What do you think about that? It's such a... Look, five years ago, I would have been on the whole, just give up now. Like, why would If you? I'm not going to be good, yeah, I'm not going to do it. Exactly. Okay. But I really love embracing the beginner mindset. Mm-hmm. Being a beginner in something, mm-hmm. it's so cool. Okay. That is very different to how you used to be. Because... You don't get those first big, like baby steps again, like when you, when you do something new. Those, mm-hmm. those little baby steps, they're so enjoyable because they're so basic and they're so, they're so hard and they're, it's funny like how hard it is. And just embracing that beginner mindset is those – and also when you're a beginner – you get better really, really quickly. <laughs> okay, I think that's the opposite to the point of the article. <laughs> but it's inevitable, right? Like if you apparently s- not. No, come on. If it, they've been surfing for thirty years, they they would have started by not being able to actually stand up on the surfboard. Sure, okay, I get your point. They now would be able to stand up on the surfboard. I'm assuming so. I don't. You, Otherwise so there's a big surfing, is it? there's a big difference between laying on a board and surfing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the yeah. So I guess you're right. I'm still in that camp of, but. And you are like I am. I am. You and I, I learned to I ski at the same time, right? We did it with no lessons. We took a chairlift to the top of a mountain, strapped skis to our feet. And we're like, let's get to the bottom. Because that's how we learnt to snowboard like 20 20 years (laughs) before. It's infuriating because you're like captain competent and you're like, it's fine. You just lean into it. You just use your edges. I'm like, what are you talking about? And it took me so long to get to the same point that you got to within the first day. Uh, So I think that you are just someone who, at least with physical like hobbies, things like that, you have that natural capacity to learn on the fly to embody your lessons really quickly. I'm not. Mm. So maybe this question is for you then because, yeah, I, 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 I took that whole article and the whole theme and, and embracing the beginner mindset because I, yep. I love that feeling of learning something new because you do make huge strides very quickly or I do. Mm-hmm. Do you then – get bored with something like once you've gotten beyond the beginner mindset and you're at like an intermediate. So the gains, the gains and advantages slow down. down Yeah. Do you then get bored and give up? Well, then it will come down to how much I really want to do something. Right. Is it, you know, am I, am I benefiting from it? Is it fun? 
Right. Right. Yeah. Which kind of taps into the themes of that article. They're, they're doing it because they just love it, right? Yeah. Like they just, it's pure, like just enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what a question for you then is talk about pottery as an example of a hobby that you've started later mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's that been like? It's been really interesting actually and this is what I wanted this is why I wanted to touch on this topic because I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago and got some really interesting responses. So I started pottery I don't know you bought me like a class pass class Christmas pass. 2021. Yeah, right. Okay. And yep. I went for three months. Yep. Absolutely loved it. Yep. And fell in love with it immediately. And within, I'm going to say three or four weeks, I was coming home and saying things to you like, I'd, like, I'd love to start my own little pottery yeah. studio. I'm going to start selling some. Yeah. I mean, I could barely throw like anything at this point. You had a store somewhere. <laughs> like, do you know, like, yeah. And this is a pattern that I have followed over and over and over. It is literally how I ended up with an accidental jewellery label that lasted me six years. I enjoyed making jewellery and suddenly people are like, you should you should sell these at markets. I'm like, yeah, I should. And it gave a reason or a purpose to what was previously a hobby and that's where I landed with pottery as well. I'm like, well, if I'm going to be spending this time and money doing this thing, it should pay its own way. And I've since walked that back because I realized that I stopped enjoying it as much when I started to think about what it would look like to have a creative side hustle like that. Um, and it's, it's not the reason I was doing it. The reason I wanted to do it and the reason I actually really enjoyed it is because it is a, it's a sensory creative experience. And when I'm at the pottery studio, mm. I don't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. I just make and it's delightful. And even if I have to drag myself there, really don't want to go. Other stuff that I should be doing every time I go and sit down, I'm grateful. And I'm so glad that I showed up. So I shared a quote over on the tortoise a couple of weeks ago from Trisha Hersey, who is uh, the founder of the Nap Ministry. And people had some thoughts on it. Okay. Yeah. So her quote is, being booked and busy is not a flex to me. Being relaxed and aligned and living in leisure with hobbies you don't monetize is a flex to me. You'll be proud of overworking and constant labor. It makes no sense. And I get why people were rattled by that because it really does challenge our mentality and the one that I've carried around with me for a very long time um, of this needs to make monetary sense. So that was, I think it ruffled some feathers because, and I, I don't necessarily say that I agree with that in like a black and white sense. I think that there's going to be a whole spectrum of people's experience around hobbies. And sometimes people do take up a hobby and they realize that they could genuinely make it a side hustle or their work. That's how I became a writer. 
justified doing that. That's true. You know, it was a hobby for a very, very mm-hmm. long time before I ever earned a cent from it. Um, so I have no issue with monetizing our hobbies, but I think it's just interesting that that is almost always our, my go-to first and I have to walk myself back from it. So, yeah, I think that the idea of having hobbies that are simply for enjoyment's sake is something that I'm going to keep exploring. What are your hobbies? Um, my hobbies are. I get is fitness a hobby? No, that's an that's a, that's a. Uh, well, I guess how a, do we cate- a category onto itself, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, is a hobby something that you do without purpose? Like, it's almost like saying med- is meditation a hobby? I don't know. That has purpose too. Everything has purpose though if you want it to. Yeah. I mean, you... I don't have a traditional hobby, I will say that. Mm-hmm. So you're learning Japanese? Yep. Would you classify that as a hobby? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Because I do want to be a translator. <laughs> By the time you're 80. <laughs> That's what you're upskilling for. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, you learn Japanese and there is obviously a purpose to that, which is to be able to speak Japanese. But, you know, are you doing it because you enjoy it for the process or are you doing it because of the outcome? I'm doing it to improve my mental, physical, mental uh, (laughs) power. Okay. Do you know what what I mean? A a brain power type Mm -hmm. thing is, yeah, that's basically why I'm doing it. And... Next time I go to Japan, I'd like to be able to converse. Sure. That's a cool yeah. a cool kind of goal. Um, you play golf. Would you say golf is a hobby? It's not a sport, that's for sure. Ooh. Well, then is chess a sport? Yeah, so I think I have a lot. Uh, in saying I don't have traditional hobbies, I have a lot of things that I like to do that are either... Leisure. Leisure-based. <laughs> You're describing hobbies. You surf. Okay, surfing. We golfing, stand up paddleboard. You know, uh, fitness, CrossFit type exercising, um, video games, yep. reading, reading, yeah, um, playing guitar, playing guitar. Yeah, you don't have any hobbies. Okay, but I kind of, I don't have like a hobby that I would hang my hat on. Of all those things, like, what am I, like, what's my main hobby? I don't think I could tell you. No. I don't think I'd have one. You're a multi-potentialite. Yeah. I would love to have a hobby. And I I envy the people that have their one hobby, that they are just, it's almost all-consuming. But then that goes, like, back to... Like a train, a toy train. Uh, Yeah, okay. uh, Model. uh, The Walt Disney Neil Young type. Yeah. Yeah. I would never do that. That does not interest me. But they're equivalent, right? Okay. When you said train, I thought of that guy who is like huge on TikTok and YouTube. You know, the guy who wears the the head mounted. um, And he's... I forget his name, but he's obsessed with... He's he's just so joyful. The passion. That's what I want. I want that passion. Right. So then that going back to the article that like led us into this part of the... That's almost the opposite of that. So this person, the Mm -hmm. surfer is like, I do it, you know, Saturday morning and it is 
it is this window of time where I happily suck and then I move on with my life. And it's like, it's enjoyable for what it is, but it is not all consuming. It is not like my great passion. I'm not saying there's like right or wrong. I just think it's really interesting that we can create space in our lives for hobbies and they can take up vastly different amounts of emotional space. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And I go through periods, I think, where I have almost an obsession with certain hobbies and then there's other ones that I just slip in and out of because they are literally enjoyable. And so I pop in and I enjoy them and then I pop out. Hmm. Hobbies. Hobbies, man. They're weird. <laughs> I would love to know, um, people listening, what your hobbies are. Because people have really cool hobbies. Oh, so cool. I get hobby envy. That's interesting. Why? I surface level hobby. But that's okay. I don't want to be like that surfer. Why? Uh, you're having a really hard time with that. Why? I don't like to. It sucks to suck. (laughs) I think it's enjoyable to suck. This is me saying at the beginning of this conversation, being a beginner is so joyful. (laughs) I don't think you believed that, even when you said it. I'm gonna have to take that one day just to do some self uh, self analysis, reflection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so let us know what your hobbies are. So um, when I say let us know that we we have a new home, by the way, uh, on the internet. If you uh, so I'm writing on Substack. I'm writing a weekly newsletter called The Tortoise. Funnily enough, over on Substack, and that's where you're going to find show notes for episodes moving forward. So there will be a link in the app, whatever app you're listening to this on, there'll be a link there that will take you over to the tortoise on Substack, but it's brookmccallery.substack.com is the name. Um, And you can just search for the episode number for each episode of the tortoise moving forward and you'll find all the show notes. So obviously today's episode one, any links that we, any papers, any articles that we talk about, we'll link to there. But while you're there, let us know what your hobbies are because Ben needs some new ones. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you? Yes. Mm. So final segment. I know you love the idea of segments. Is a brief check-in. So this is where we will talk about typically about your uh, movements towards a four-day work week. Okay. Yep. So this is the regular check-in part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, But we're not going to do that because we've already done that today. And you're now going to ask me about my... (laughs) (laughs) my, uh, Running like a well-oiled machine. So so beginning of the year, four-day work week for me. Mm Mm-hmm. One percenters for you. Mm. How's the one percent movement going? Movement. Uh, It's going, you know what? It's been a phenomenal, it's had a phenomenal impact on the way I spend my time. So I'm not going to kind of rehash it all here. We spoke about it 
a little bit on the last couple of episodes of the Slow Home podcast. So if you haven't listened to those, you can just go back um, a couple of episodes. Yeah, same feed. Take, yeah, in the same feed. Same feed. Take a listen to those. But I also wrote quite a lengthy post about it on the tortoise that you can go and read. But essentially, it's using the idea of 1% as a tool. So either 1% of our day being 15 minutes roughly of our day, what can I do for 15 minutes that will be values aligned, that will make me feel better, that will move me a step closer towards, you know, a goal or something that I'm working towards. That's one way of using it. The other way of using the 1% is what is something that I can do that will improve or change or grow an area of my life by 1%. You know, and that can be something tiny that can be, um, you know, making that that small extra effort in whatever area it is in life, a relationship, work, creativity, play, health, uh, and just embracing the idea of continuous, gradual, slow and steady improvement. Mm -hmm. So that's it in a nutshell. You can hear Joey snoring behind me. And it's been phenomenal. So I, every morning when I wake up, I um, write in a logbook. It's something that Austin Cleon writes about and I have copied. And essentially I go over the day before and I look at the day before. (laughs) He's really gone for it. (laughs) I look at the day before and I think about what 1% I have attempted or I have managed, you know, and it might be something like stretching in the morning to me, that's a 1% improvement in the way that I feel during the day um, physically. It can be journaling. It can be taking the extra time to sit with the kids when they go to bed. It can be taking the dogs for a walk. It can be fif- literally 15 minutes spent exercising. It can be 15 minutes spent weeding the garden. And I just make a note of all of those things. And two things have happened. I think I'm looking for more opportunities to make yeah. those tiny shifts that make no material difference to my output that make a huge difference over the course of a week or a month or a year. Absolutely. So I'm looking for more opportunities to do it, but I'm also seeing that I've been doing lots of 1%. Anyway. Anyway, and that is empowering. Yeah. That's going, okay, I know what's important to me and I'm already living like it. That feels really great. Yeah. So I try every month to have a different focus just to see, you know, what I can do with this 1%. And this month I've been focusing on um, getting back to writing my middle grade kids novel. And it has been unbelievable the difference that the 1% has made. So for the first couple of weeks of the month, I spent 15 minutes after writing my logbook in the morning, just working through my old drafts, Mm -hmm. just looking at them, making notes, um, noting down anything that, you know, structural story stuff that needs to happen. And then for the second half of the month, I'm now able to outline the entire book. It's really hard to concentrate when he's snoring like that. Unedited. Yep. Very candid. This is life. Uh, So, yeah, and, and spending that 15 minutes a day has allowed me to now sit down and do more intensive work of outlining. So it's more like 1%, but for a week. So I'll Mm -hmm. sit down for maybe two hours on a Saturday or a Sunday and work on it. And I'm at the point now where I've 
started a brand new draft and have a complete outline for the entire book, which I've never had before. Incredible. And that's all from Thanks just... Thanks to the 1%. Yeah. So, like, mm. I knew theoretically mm. that 1% a day would make a difference and it adds up to way more than just the effort of a singular day. It becomes very quickly far greater than the sum of its parts. I knew that. But seeing it in a very real sense has been so cool. So, yes, it is going well. The 1% is going well. Um, and I think what I'll end up finding a need for is tilting. Yeah. You know, because you add add 15 1% to your day and all of a sudden <laughs> your day is there's, just 15% fuller. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not what this is about. It's not about exponential growth it's just about a slow steady commitment to a thing and in that in that capacity it's been really genuinely powerful and um it's amazing some may argue that the one percent is is basically a productivity tool and you can argue that that's fine i think it depends how what what lens you look at it through Mm. But there is absolutely endless research that shows that deep concerted effort over short periods of time is often far more oh, productive. I would, I would believe that than spending an eight-hour day, you know, half doing things. Well, my Japanese lessons are—that's my one percent yeah. at the moment—is all around just doing fifteen minutes a day mm-hmm. and. Any more, and you become so firstly so fatigued with it, right? Uh, and because it's new information too, so mm-hmm. it's sort of like it's pretty intensive, mm. like what you're learning. Uh, but I enjoy it now. Like I, I look forward to that 15 minutes of of learning Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using Duolingo. Mm-hmm. I know there's a number number of apps out there, but that's the one I'm using, and I'm just having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I'd previously studied it at school, so I came to it with you quite a bit a, of base yeah. knowledge. Uh, yeah, and just um, I look forward to in twelve months seeing mm. where you're at with it, where I'm at. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that would be a fantastic measure of the benefits of the one percent of the one percent. Yeah. So yeah. put a note in your diary. We're coming back. Yeah. You know, beginning of next year to see how your Japanese is. Hey. Very good. So I think that's that's sort of it for our first episode of The Tortoise. If you haven't uh, yet subscribed, if you found your, your way here on a podcast app, uh, make sure you hit subscribe. This is the same feed as the Slow Home podcast. So if you were a previous subscriber and you've noticed us pop up and you're like, what the heck is this? We've renamed the feed so that you won't have lost access to our 350 past episodes. You can go back and take a listen to those. Uh, And if you haven't yet signed up to receive the tortoise letters, they go out every Friday at this point, um, Australia time. And um, you head over to Substack and add your name to those. There is also an option to become a paid subscriber. uh, And for that, you it's $5 a month or $50 a year you also get access to um, workshops that I will run roughly every quarter. So three or four a year. I've just wrapped up the uh, first workshop, which went for three weeks, and it was all about values, 
how to identify your values and then how to use them to help you make decisions. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can sign up for $5 for the month, get access to that straight away. Uh, but otherwise, for the Friday letters, it is completely free. And I would love you to come over there and join us. We've got a really beautiful community that's, um, that's starting to, to spring up around um, our conversations. We have a chat every Friday afternoon. Yeah, so come and join us, please. brookmccallery.substack.com What's the collective noun for a group of tortoises? Oh, I don't know. That'd be funny if we call our community that. I think we looked at that at some point and it Maybe. wasn't great. Yeah, okay. I don't know what it was. We'll but come we back could to call it. it a plod. A plot of tortoises. A plot of tortoises. <laughs> Love it. Just a quick favour, if you like. Um, we're not sure about the discoverability of the show as we've changed from Slow Your Home to The Tortoise. What really helps with that is if you leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast platform. Mm -hmm. uh, that just means that we're more likely to be searched and people find us through those apps if, you, if, you, if we have some current ratings and reviews. So it would be great if you've got the time to leave us a, a quick rating and review. Please. Until... Uh, next time and at this point we're, we're hitting monthly episodes it's part of our commitment to slow and steady this year that feels doable so we will be back with you the third thursday of april until then take good care <laughs> <laughs>